Mark Bullock, BMA Biotech. Thank you for joining us here on today's program. Let's start off by letting everybody know what BMA Biotech is. Describe your customers, your services, and what you guys are doing. Okay, so BMA Biotech is a, a very multi-use company. So we not only design our own chemical products aimed at a wide cross-section of industries, we also have just branched out into uh, offering environmental services for the oil and gas industry, uh, specifically um soil remediation and wastewater remediation after the event of a spill. Soil remediation. Talk to me a little bit about that. When I, I think, of course, of words like, uh, in, is it, how do you pronounce that again? In? In situ. Thank you. Thank you. It's in been, it's, it's been a long day of interviewing here. So, uh, I, that's why I got to bring the experts on. So you guys can, can re-educate me at times. So talk to me about those different types of, um, soil remediations, if you would. Okay, so in-situ remediation basically refers to the treatment of um, contaminated soil in the place it occurred. So let's say, for instance, you had a burst pipeline and it covered an area of, say, I don't know, 60 square meters. So you wouldn't dig it, dig out the dirt. You would, um, in that sort of situation, you would use um, a similar method to actually fracking, where you would drill holes at various points throughout the contaminated area and inject down um, either a microbial product or an oxidization product and then it would be pushed through the soil um, in the hopes that it would remove the contamination and bring it back up a secondary sec sec uh, secondary lot of shafts so it can obviously then be removed and filtered out and then be re the cleaner reused products be recirculated and then obviously the contamination taken off and disposed of. Uh, then the second type you've got is uh, in uh, ex situ remediation, which again is typically performed on site um, and is typically used with a chemical. Um, so what they will do is they will mark off a contaminated area and then they will bring in um, contamination mats so they can put the dirty, the, the contaminated soil onto the mats and either run the soil through a soil washing unit or actually wash it on the mats to remove the contamination um, and then the other method is um, what's described as dig and haul so what they would basically do is bring in um, trucks fill them up with the contaminated soil and take them off to be treated or disposed of and then clean soil will be brought onto site and the hole will be then filled with the clean soil Talk to me about the environmental aspects of this. Um, that's obviously something the oil and gas companies want to know about, whether it's the products that are environmentally safe or it's the, you know, the, the process. I know at the end of the day, they just want to make sure that it, all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. So talk to me about the environmental side of this. So, yeah, so the aim of a remediation basically is to prevent secondary contamination. And what that refers to is... If you imagine when uh, ground the, the, the soil gets wet, uh, water will naturally absorb into the ground. The same happens with crude oil, um, EMP wastewater, or even petrochemicals. So what will happen is as it absorbs into the ground, it will go down continually until it reaches um, either a layer that it can't penetrate, then it will then try and find a way around it, or will just go straight into what they call the groundwater source. Well, the groundwater source is where the what they're trying to prevent it getting into because once it's in there it will then be um, it will then leach out into surface water sources into like rivers lakes uh, even even into the ocean 
And obviously that's when you start to get your marine life being killed off. Um, the ecosystems around the shorelines being um, destroyed. So that's the whole idea of remediation is to stop the contamination from getting into those points with using products which, on the whole, if you use an oxidization method of in situ treatment, um, you also have to monitor the groundwater levels because it can create um, toxic byproducts which can leach into the groundwater. So we tend to stay away from the... Um, oxidization process we mainly focus on if it's in situ we'll typically focus on uh, microbial products which are our, which we've designed ourselves um, but if it's ex situ we use a chemical wash and in fact when it's you use a chemical wash it should never be um, used in situ because you will get the same effect as if you're wetting the ground with rain you know with water or anything because it will just basically speed up the process of secondary contamination so state laws and and the environmental laws state it has to be remediated which basically means cleaned up not pushed deeper into the subsurface so it then can leach out into other sources i was going to ask you about the regulation side of things um do, do you guys deal much with with, with the regulators, so I know some sometimes companies do, sometimes they don't. Depends on obviously the um, the, the oil and gas midstream company that's that's being involved with it. Do you guys get much involved with, with that side of things, or do you just get the the printouts of what's what the regulations are, and then your products and services just stay within there? Well, but I mean, we have dealt with the regulators in the past, um, not just in the U.S. but in the U.K. and other parts of the world. Um, and again, I mean, each there is an overall federal regulation of what has to happen. And then again, each state will have their own guidelines on how it's to happen and what the background levels of contamination are um, and the effective... Uh, I mean, like Texas, for instance, have um, uh, deployed to the Railroad Commission for oil and gas sites. It's called uh, Rule 91, and that basically outlines um, to prevent secondary contamination... Um, the background levels they must be remediated to until it's pack, uh, classed as a as a past site, um, and it also specifically states that when um, excavating contaminated soil and you're placing it into an area where it isn't contaminated, there has to be some form of a uh, plastic sheet and or some form of barrier to prevent the two soils interacting. Because again, this, the contamination from the dirty soil will then leach into the clean soil. So then you're just basically spreading it around. Um, there isn't any specific regulations on the products um, because typically what you're going to be looking for is a company that knows what they're doing when it comes to remediation. Um, again, you know, the remediation industry, like any other, has its good companies and its bad. Um, and unfortunately, the bad ones are the ones that spoil it for the rest of us because then everyone looks at us as that, you know, we're just out to make a fast buck. When in fact, you know, companies like mine and thousands of others in the U.S., um, you know, deploy our products and our treatment methods that are effective. And then there are those that I've seen, you know, companies do in-situ soil, uh, soil washing. You know, it's it shouldn't happen. And if the state finds out about it, then they will start obviously bringing out the violation notices and start the fine, you know, process to start this company or whoever being fined. Um, because there is a cradle-to-grave law when it comes to remediation, um, which basically states that whoever can cause the contamination is responsible for that up until the point that it's actually remediated or destroyed. Um, so even if it's secondary contamination that occurs in three years' time, <clears throat> the 
company that caused it is still liable for that contamination. Uh, there's actually a famous case in Houston that's currently going on where a former disposal site for actually uh, industrial waste was being used. Um, I don't know who purchased the site, but someone purchased the site and decided to build on it. When they started to remediate the site, they found that there was um, pits full of grease trap waste, completely different to the oil and gas industry, but generate, you know, still contains hydrocarbons. Um, and the company actually started suing not only the outlets that generated the waste, but also um, the companies that disposed of the waste at that site. And the company that was actually meant to process the waste are the ones that are getting away with it all because they are not covered by the cradle-to-grave law. So again, it's a very fine area when it comes to using the right product in the right setting, um, you know, for the to achieve an outcome which is effective and long-lasting, not just pushing it away so no one can see it anymore. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, is there a way that somebody knows the difference between in situ and ex situ when it comes to oil remediation? Or, I mean, is that... I mean, is that something the experts come in for? Is that is there certain indicators on one? Because I, I know a lot of times it has to do with the, the, the method and the product. So um, how is each one customized? Or talk to me a little bit about how the determination is made. So, I mean, basically, um, it all comes down to education. Um, and if a company educates its staff on what to look for, in respect to employing a remediation company, it's very, very easy to spot the people that are actually doing it wrong. Because if someone claims to you that their product does something that is scientifically impossible and physically improbable, it's easy to spot if you know what you're looking for. Because again, a lot of these companies that don't know what they're doing will use a lot of scientific jargon, which sounds right, but it isn't. Um, you know, but then... It comes down to the companies themselves as well, the oil and gas companies, where if they were to train their staff, um, which we do actually offer staff training for um, all, all sectors of the oil and gas industry, in what remediation is, how to effectively achieve it, and the expectations of products, then that's where you start to cut out these companies that don't know what they're doing. Um, but the telltale signs are if someone's claiming that their product does X, Y, or Z in situ, Go back and verify what they're saying. You know, literally Google what they're saying. Yes, you will hit their website, but you'll also hit research papers, which states what they're saying is wrong. Um, so the academic research will outweigh what they're saying. So then you can make up an informed decision of saying, well, they're actually lying to me. I'm not going to use them. Um, again, if, it's, if they're claiming to use a chemical wash of any description, do not let it happen if it's in situ. Because, again, it's just going to be like you're pouring water on the ground. It's just going to saturate quicker down into the groundwater and the secondary contamination is going to happen a lot faster. Um, a, microbial, a lot of people um, do not like microbial products because there's a lot of bad PR about them in the sense that they take so long to work or they don't work. Again, that all comes down to the company knowing what they're doing. If a company knows how to use the microbes, like our product, for instance, we've actually designed ourselves. It contains uh, five different spores, uh, sorry, strains of bacteria, uh, multiple spores, and... Um, even a fungi, a fungi, sorry, um, which all aids in the effective um, rapid biodegradation of um, hydrocarbons, petrochemicals, anything that's related to the oil and gas industry. Um, 
And, you know, you have to take into account the soil conditions, the pH levels, um, what soil type it is. And that's why you have to bring in companies um, who know what they're doing. And that's why when an environmental assessment is undertaken, um, you have to have what they call a competent person do this assessment. And typically there'll be an engineer or someone who's sat the, the, the approved courses by the state regulatory, uh, re- regulatory guidelines to obtain their licenses. So they will know how to effectively not only look at what's going on on the site, but how to remediate it effectively and incorporate it into their plan, um, which will then obviously have to be submitted to the state and then the state obviously sign off on it. Um, but again, then it comes down to the company who have receiving the, the remediation plans to the oil and gas company to not just find the most cheapest option there is. Um, because again, you know, we're all in for cost saving. And yes, I agree there should be cost savings when it comes to remediation because the cost of remediation can either be very expensive um, or very cheap. And the, and the rule of thumb is, is with anything in life, the cheaper it is, the worse it's going to be. So if you find a company that can offer you a product and service, um, and there are thousands out there, it's just finding the right, you know, finding the ones that are not in it for the money. Because what people don't realize is the companies that don't know what they're doing are making somewhere close to like an 80% markup on their products because they're actually just a blend of surfactants or something which when absorbed in more water will split open and cause the contamination to, you know, to reform. So that's the easiest way to try and spot what's going on is do your own research, Google what they're saying, and then you'll find that quite quickly these companies will go out of business because their claims then are rubbished purely on the grounds that there's academic research to say this product cannot do this or this type of um, product cannot do that. Well, I know there's been a problem down in uh, the Permian uh, as far yeah. as some of these. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, I, I've seen this um, environmental cleanup become pretty competitive, pretty, pre, pre, pretty um, I don't know if cutthroat is the right word, but almost. It just seems like there's more... I like to use the word chuck and jivers and exaggerators. That's a, it just seems like this is the vein because you're dealing with like proprietary chemicals and you're dealing with one of a kind solution type things. So yeah. people are going ahead and buying these proprietary franchise products and then just becoming a huge uh, megaphone for them and not yeah. really caring about what they're saying. They're just saying what they want louder than anybody else. And yeah. And so I do feel sorry for the oil and gas companies that fall for it. That you don't, you know what I mean by that? I'm trying to be yeah. nice. I'm trying to yeah, be nice because um, a lot of these companies that I've been hearing about, they're still under investigation. So I don't want to mention any names. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to it either and say, I know it's, I know it's happening. I get the phone calls. I get the emails that this, this chemical cleanup industry is becoming extremely competitive not only in the permian but in the bakken and in the eagle Ford, and i'm even here in louisiana and even california a little bit so um it's it, it's it's i don't know if it's an elephant in the room because i think people probably know. do you know what i mean by this because yeah. i you know you, you're in it every day so to you it's probably it's probably normal but for me somebody who checks in with a lot of different industries and sub-niches and that kind of thing, I'll yeah. tell you, the chemical cleanup business is very ultra-competitive. Just talk to me about my comments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you are right, and unfortunately it's a spreading epidemic we're now seeing um, with these. It's nothing more than snake oil, to be quite honest. Um, 
And the joke of all this is, if these products were actually used in an ex situ setting, a lot of them, they would actually be quite effective in their means. Um, but then it comes down to these companies who really don't, these remediation companies who really don't care about what they're doing and have no clue how to do what they're doing, um, will dupe the customer into believing that they've got the next best thing or the silver bullet for remediation. And the way to look at it is like this. If a company is claiming something that a product can do um, wonderful, marvelous things, okay, always go back to the point of origin. How did it come about that this product could do that? Is there academic research on it? Is there, um, is there anything published other than from this company that states this product can do this? For instance, all of my company's chemical products are based on what they call microemulsion formulations. So they are very good at um, encapsulating the oil because they're a blend of surfactants. We will never use them in situ, but another plus side of that is um, we've designed a new type of wash plant where we can push the product and the contaminated soil and the oil all through a wash plant and out the other end we will get a separation of soil the product so it can be reused and circulated to wash more soil and crude oil so then we can then obviously turn to the operator and say right you know you, you lost 75 barrels for instance but we've just recovered you 74 barrels so again it's all coming down to you know listen to what these people are telling you if they're telling you that microbes don't work then get them to prove that because there are countless thousands of studies that state microbes do work but the company just needs to know what they're doing if they don't know what they're doing they won't work that's as simple as it is uh, and again fall back on education my company offers um education to oil and gas companies we come in and we literally we don't endorse our products we don't push our products we literally give people a better understanding of what remediation is one effective remediation program can do and a realistic expectation of what products are able to achieve without saying, you know, use this or use that, you know, use any company you want, but just make sure that they are the right company and you're not going to be facing a severe fine at the end of all this because you've just contaminated the river or a lake because that's what's happening now. It's, you know, I mean, it's not just in the US, it's, you know, in the UK, it's in Europe, it's, it's everywhere, it's an epidemic. And it's, it's starting to spread a lot more because these sham technologies, most of them are actually developed in China, and no one really knows what's in them. So you're not just getting the secondary contamination from the products. Some of these products could be toxic, and that's the reality of it. It's, you know, when exposed to heat or anything like that, it could be toxic. So it's not just emitting contamination from crude oil in there, for instance. It's also, you know, causing toxic effects with what's in it. What are some of the expectations that people should... Uh, expect when it comes to after the job's done? I mean, is there is there any sort of follow-up that's done either on their side, your side, the state regulator side? You know, you mentioned that they, they're going to be, you know, their name's attached to that cleanup job. So what, what, yeah. what type of um, follow-up and accountability, et cetera, is either done on your end or on, on somebody's end to make sure the job that you do is taken care of? Typically, what what happens is with a remediation project is um, the environmental assessment is key and what that basically does is it covers looking at the area that's contaminated getting the levels of contamination and you actually produce what we call a contamination map so it's a bit like a, um, a topographical map where you've got your um, contour lines but instead of contour lines it's just boundaries of the contamination so then this then the company in the state will know that in x area is 
say, 10,000 TPH. Um, okay, in that case then, it has to be reduced back down to ground, uh, what they call background levels, which is typically, um, state of Texas is uh, 1% of soil content, uh, sorry, soil weight. So then you will then uh, deploy an adequate product with an effective treatment, and then at the end of, if you're using a mix and till, for instance, um, what we tend to do, which is a fail-safe for everyone, is we will do it layer by layer like everyone else does it in situ. Um, but we will take samples from not just the layer we're actually mixing and tilling, we're actually going to go down um, up to three feet in some cases, just so we can show to the client and the state that actually what we're doing isn't making it go deeper into the subsurface. We're actually remediating it as per state regulations. Um, again, because there is no guidelines on the sampling, there, there has to be samples taken, but there's no guidelines on how how far down you have to go or how far across you have to go after you know from the remediation site to to prove that it's not happening anywhere else. And that's how a lot of these companies are getting in there because there is no fail safe. So if companies don't have that fail safe, then it's quite easy to get literally you know in trouble because of something that you've not done. Um, and what people don't realise is the remediation company isn't at fault because they are not the one that has caused the contamination. It's actually the company that, you know, owns the pipeline or or leases the pipeline, whatever. Or, you know, or the, if a storage tank ruptures on a on a tank battery or whatever, you know, it's it's not the remediation company that's gonna be at fault. It is gonna be the customer who either owns or leases that land or whatever, not the remediator. So they really don't care because they get away scot-free. I mean, you know, um, I've heard instances where, you know, clients who have come to me and said, hey, I've, I've got the state on my back because I've used this company. Can you come in and sort it out? Well, yeah, we can come in and sort it out, but it's going to cost you now three times the amount because not only have we got to clean up the initial contamination, we've also got to assess the whole area again to see how bad the contamination has been made. You know, have they used any compounds that are toxic? Then do we have to remediate that? And it, it's just a whole fiasco where it's better to pay, for instance, $100,000 in the first instance than it is to pay $30,000 because what you're going to get is that $30,000 you initially paid is going to go somewhere close to $400,000 by the time you finished. Talking with Mark Bullock, BMA Biotech. Uh, a little bit about the two different types of soil remediation products that they're using in the oil and gas contamination niche side of the I call it the upstream, downstream, salmon stream, midstream, you know, all the different streams involved with the oil and gas industry. Um, that's kind of what we're primarily talking about here, right? This is two different uh, types of soil remediation products and, and how you guys are solving all the oil and gas contamination pro problems, right? That's kind of what we're talking yes. about. I yes, wanted sir. to, good, because I just wanted to, uh, I'm making sure I'm following my own interview here. Uh, I yes. just wanted to also ask you are, you, are you guys just in the oil and gas or, you know, I'll give you an opportunity, we'll plug outside of this a little bit. Are you doing any sort of uh, other cleanups, whether it be construction sites or, you know, agriculture or anything like that? Or, or is it just right now we're laser focused on oil and gas because that's where our services are needed the most? Just talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so basically we are laser focused on you know oil and gas because as you said that is where our services are needed the most at the moment um, and that is also where our experience lies is with the oil and gas industry um, i mean in time yes we may expand out into other industries um, but our product range outside of the environmental services side um, 
does cover cover in the, uh, other industries um, because that's you know it's on the chemical side um, and you know we do a range of wastewater treatment products for various sectors of the of the of the industries you know municipalities um, restaurants for grease traps and stuff like that um, but primarily now we are focusing on oil and gas for the environmental services because that's where we're needed. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll make sure we stick on that then. To, yep. We don't need to be plugging those other areas. Because I know you guys, you know, you've got a lot of different services and that type of yep. thing. So, but for this, we're going to focus on the oil and gas, the spills, the in situ, the ex situ remediation. Uh, do, is there anything you want to tell me about maybe the products that you guys use? I know we talked about the competitive side and everything else, yep. but just take an opportunity explain why yours is better than 10 super bowls you know i know i know you don't like to brag a little bit but take the opportunity and really you know maybe explain some of the features or the advantages that you know you, that you guys are bringing that no one else is okay so I'll, I'll start with the chemical product um so that is um a unique product to the industry in a sense because we are the only one that actually has a product because again all of our products are designed by us um our research teams are not just scientists. We actually bring in engineers. Um, we bring in geologists. We, we bring in the people that actually deal on the ground with various situations. So our scientists will sit there and speak to them and say, right, you tell me the problems you've got, and I will try and design the product around those problems. Um, so one problem that we found with the chemical side was, um, you know, people were saying that it can be expensive for soil washing. So is there a way we could, you know, perhaps speed up the process of, you know, maybe reusing some of the product or something like that. And that's what we do is on the chemical side, our ex-situ soil wash, um, because again, as I said before, never to do in-situ chemical washing, uh, soil washing, because it just doesn't work. Well, it does, but it just pushes it down. Um, so what we do is we, we, in a sense, mix it into a slurry. We put it through a special machine that we've developed ourselves. Um, and again, it's not something that we've sort of built from scratch. We've looked around at other industries to see what machinery is out there and we can utilize um and just basically pull it together uh in a sense i think some i think some people call it in the us uh, macgyvering um so we've macgyvered this machine together which will separate out crude oil soil and our product and what we then do is obviously if you know the client can obviously have their crude oil back if they so wish or we can take it and find a buyer for it because again it can be resold because it's still a commercial commodity um, because the BSW content, again, because of the machine we're using, is reduced down to less than 1%. Um, the soil then is expelled on a different side, still on containment maps, mats. Then at each section, we will take a soil sample and have it analysed to make sure that that soil is within the background contamination limits. And then the product is then recirculated back through to the wash plant and reused up to four times. And once we get to the fourth time, we obviously then change um, the IBC out and put on a new one because our product is now getting less effective. Um, but then our microbial product is something which is probably one of the most modernist in the in industry because what we saw when we first looked at um, bioremediation, as that's what it's termed under, um, the microbial products were maybe ones you know either bacillus or with three or four spores in there or um bacillus were mixed in with enterobacter um so it was it was doing a job but it hadn't changed much since um bioremediation was first uh, recorded as being used for the oil and gas industry back on the i think it was the exxon valdez um 
oil spill up in Alaska back in the late 80s. Um, so a lot of companies were still basing their uh, products, their, their, their microbial products on that. Um, but then we we're also seeing where other companies were putting vitamins and this, that, and all the other in there. Generally, they were doing nothing. It was just the bacteria were the things that were working. Um, so we looked at what bacteria there was within the natural environment that is known for digesting bacteria and turning it into water and carbon dioxide. It's just like we eat food, they eat crude oil or petrochemicals or whatever. Um, so we isolated these strains, we then farmed them. In fact, one of the strains comes from a oil well because it was causing problems. So we figured, you know, we basically farmed that. Um, and it's very effective at eating um, the long, more complex hydrocarbon chains. And again, because that's what we're also seeing was you would get a rapid decrease of contamination, say 60% in the first 30 days, but then you would have a long drawn out treatment process because the lighter chain hydrocarbons are gone, uh, the, sorry, the short chain hydrocarbons are gone, where the longer, more complex chains were left and it was harder for the bacteria to digest. So we had found strains that weren't just good at doing the easier parts of contamination to digest that we also incorporated strains which could you could you know effectively use the more complex chains as a food source but out in general within the industry um, there are a lot of microbial based products or oxidizers or chemicals but we just stick to our, our two that we've developed and designed because we know they, they're effective and they work and they save the client money so if somebody's listening right now they got an oil spill i get press releases every day about yep. some salt water spill, some oil spill, number of different things happen, you know, from what, what is it? Uh, Winkler County to, to Morton County, North Dakota. So from the yep. Permian to the Bakken, they happen all the time. Uh, I imagine you guys just like it when people call you because, you know, or, or let you know, because every job is, is, is different, but uh, what, what should somebody get in touch with you? They call you, they send you an email. Uh, if somebody has some questions about spill prevention or spill reaction, that type of stuff, uh, how do they get in touch with you? What should they, who's your customer, that sort of thing? Talk to me about that. So again, our customers um, all across the oil and gas industry in the upstream, midstream and downstream sector, wherever there's a possibility of a spill or any type of, of oil and gas contamination, as we call it, um, so what, what would generally happen is um, people could contact us over our um, email um, or phone us up. And then obviously from there, um, we obviously talk, you know, we find out what's going on because that's the easiest thing to do. You know, what's going on and how much, if, if they know how much has been spilled. Um, if it's a minor spill of, say, 20 barrels um, and it's up in the bucket, I mean, that is, you know, the other end country for us. However, we do have inroads to other companies that we know and trust in the region that we can obviously refer the work to or if it's a much larger spill and the client's willing to pay for us to actually go there we will you know react to the spill um and then you know but then again on top of that we also offer as i said educational services to companies where um we'll you know we'll go in and we'll educate their staff in you know spill prevention as you as you pointed out and not just spill prevention but you know how to contain the spill if, if need to be um and again, we have containment products as well, which we, we use a second, a third-party distributor for those because we don't do any spill containment. Um, and it's as simple as that. I mean, they just either phone or email us, um, and we basically, if we can, you know, if they're willing to pay the money and we're willing to, 
you know, make it cost effective from beginning. And that's what it all comes down to is if it's too costly for a client, we will say, well, you know, you're a thousand miles away from us, but we know of this company or we've got inroads to this company who can actually cover that area for us. Uh, in time, we are going to expand out, obviously, all across the US. But at the moment, we're primarily focused on the Eagleford and the Permian because that's where, obviously, we're located in between in Texas. Um, so, yeah, it all comes down to if they're willing to pay the money, basically, we will attend the spill. Wrapping up here, Mark Bullock with BMA Biotech. They're laser-focused on the oil and gas industry right now with their oil spill remediation. Uh, just kind of final thoughts. Anything that we left out? Anything that you want to reiterate? I like to give guests the final word. That way the question and framework is not done by me. So, And who knows, maybe you got a good chili recipe. I don't know. But uh, the floor is yours, sir. No, I certainly didn't have a good chili recipe. Um, but again, I'd say if anyone wants um, either our services for um, either initial site um, environmental services to look at the, you know, clean up their spill, we offer those. We also offer services to remediate the spill. And we also offer educational services to oil and gas companies where we will go in and train their staff on, you know, basically what to look for in remediation, what to expect of various products, and how to prevent using the companies that really honestly don't know what they're doing. Um, if, if anyone would like to get a, in touch with us to speak about their remediation needs or education programs we offer, um, they can call us at 281-643-8860 or they can email us at info at bmabiotech.com or then go to our website and use our contact, uh, our contact us link.